Designing games for a living can be a huge undertaking. Some people in the business have been at it for a while though. This week on Scheduled for Launch, join me, Zach Walsh, as I speak with Steve D about his catalog of various games from Tinstar Games. From card games to games that fit on the back of a business card to full-size tabletop role-playing games, there are a ton of games available and we're going to talk about a whole bunch of them. Welcome to Schedule for Launch, a podcast to discover the projects that you may have missed. This week, I am incredibly excited to be talking to yet another wonderful creator in the tabletop gaming space. Steve, thank you so much for joining me on the show this week. Well, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. I'm really excited. You have been making a lot of games, it sounds like, in the past couple of years. And we're basically going to be covering some of your catalog of games. Some people may know some of these games, some people may have never heard of some of them. So I'm really excited to look at them and learn a little bit about them and what they're all about. Fantastic. Yep. Steve, before we really get started on your games, though, could you please tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Yep. Um, so I am uh, 45 years old. I live in Sydney, Australia. Um, I've been designing games my whole life. Uh, I've been working in the RPG industry since about 2001, 2002. Um, okay. uh, before that, I was actually making my own uh, zine and website um, and, and uh, so doing journalism in the industry. And okay. then um, okay. I've been doing freelance work um, yeah, since, since 2000, 2002. And um, yeah, and then I've been writing my own games and publishing my own games um, since about 2018, um, on and off a bit before that. I think, the, I think the first game I ever put out was it, uh, that was sort of standalone was 2011. Okay, so you've been at this for quite a while compared to a lot of people then. Yes, yes. So if you don't mind me asking though, what got you into the tabletop gaming space? Um... I guess, uh, so when I was a kid, we had Talisman, and we had Dungeon Quest, and we had really cool board games, and from there I sort of followed them into Dungeons and & Dragons, um, and uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came out in the early 80s, uh, late 80s, yes, and yes. Um, it, was, it was great, um, that was a huge, huge hit for me, um, and yeah, um, I was a big Warhammer fan, and that was that was the first thing that I got to work on professionally, um, as well as Buffy, um, the Vampire Slayer board uh, RPG. I loved that game. Yeah, it was it was amazing. Um, yeah, so I did a lot of role playing um, at, at in my teen years and at university, and uh, wrote some of my own games back then as well, um, and then yeah, just um, followed that into freelancing. It's so interesting to me because most of the people that I talk to, they do it kind of like as a passion project or a side gig. And I think you're really the first person I can call a quote unquote professional that's been on the show. So that's a little bit of a new intimidation here, but I'm really excited to discover more about your games because they're really cool. Excellent. 
That's what we hope. Yep. Awesome. So we're going to basically start with the micro games, a couple of the micro games. We'll work our way back and talk about story games because that's the big one. Mm-hmm. Starting with your micro games, what goes into these little bite-sized games? So it depends a lot. Um you know, um, some, some of these games began life as just a business card. Um, some of them began life, uh, in little competitions or jams. Um, uh, some of them were just sort of experiments. Um, so for example, we've got two card games on business cards. That was for a game, uh, project that was called the tiny library where people were designing to put, uh, games on business cards but one of those was actually just me making my new business card um many many years ago um james wallace introduced me to the idea that if you're going to be a game designer you might as well have a game on your business card so um Uh. you know it's just like if i'm making my business card i'm going to try to put a game on there uh yes so um others were just you know i had an idea um you know i've been inspired by other designers who put out small micro one-page games, um, and um, there's even some that, you know, just haven't ended up uh, on the website, because um, they're, they're even more experimental or, or ugly, but um, yeah, sometimes they just start <laughs> with a simple idea. Um, for example, my game about making a, a, a train map, I've been trying to do a game about making a train map for years, and I finally sort of saw how to put it all together, figured we could fit it on one page and um yeah put it up on the website that's super exciting to me because there are a lot of really great one page games one of my personal favorite that you have up on the website is actually owlbear Uh, i think that one's very cute i especially would love to know a little bit about how you collabed with the amazing artist rowan ross for this project yeah, so this was just, uh, look, um, my friend Cameron, um, his daughter is, is a very gifted artist, and um, she was drawing lots of really interesting creatures and, and D&D creatures, <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, um, she, uh, she I, I was, I, I, I do something which isn't on, on my website very much, but I've been trying to do a game on Twitter about... Uh, every month or so, um, mm-hmm. fitting a game entirely into a tweet, and that's where that one originally came from. Um, and uh, you know, she she saw it and she liked it, and I was like, you know what? I love your art. Let's let's just get your art into um, into this game. So I I I talked to her dad, and um, he's like, yeah, look, I'll get her to draw some pictures, um, mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, some of my tweet games are on the website, but I've now got so many of them that I, I haven't um, uh, linked to them all. 
Um, but what we're thinking of doing is putting a book out of all of them eventually. Um, oh, that's but yeah, um, it was just... Um, I'm a great believer in collaborating um, mm-hmm. uh, as, a, as a, just a great idea to get different ideas together and to encourage people to make more art. Um, and um, yeah, look, there was something just lovely about about Rowan's art that's just like you know what she needs to be a published game designer um, yeah yeah because that's a great way to just once you have a bit of that confidence you know you you you're more encouraged to keep making more art yeah so I'm always keen to just go I love what you're doing let's do it together so you can get that first step mm-hmm. so for folks who may be listening and wanted to know why I specifically really liked the art and for this Rowan is four when those pictures were designed what weren't they yes yes uh, I think so she's, she's about seven now actually... oh wow so it was about three years ago now yeah yeah so that was actually my first click on any of your games was this one and awesome. I was like oh <laughs> but it gave me like this great sense of who you probably were as a person i thought that was very cute yeah um it's certainly something that definitely reflects my simplicity of design and and um and yeah just just um uh the whimsical nature that you can have with games i mean if you look at my game about being tilda swinton it's also a very very silly whimsical idea yes a lot of yes. my my tweet games are like that as well mm-hmm and I think that there's definitely like those themes, but I also think that you're very good at being able to get people thinking and work in different spaces. A little bit more of a somber game that came out during quarantine was actually 17 Reasons, and I had a lot of appeal with this game. Where'd this game come from? How'd you get it up on the site? Uh, yeah, so 17 Reasons, again, was a very simple idea. Um, um, quarantine was, was pretty difficult, and um, there was a... Uh, when the first lockdown came down, um, there was a list of reasons why you were allowed to leave your house and, or, or go out into public, um, uh-huh. and um, it was... Uh, I thought that was a very interesting list, and um, I made a list of sort of all the other possible reasons you might be going out, and and um, a ran- the randomizer in that is basically the num the the seconds when you look at a clock, which gives you a list of sixty sort of things. Um, but uh, so it's it's it was designed to be sort of one of those what they call sort of like a horoscope game is what they're often called, where you uh, look at a table and go okay. You know, if my first name starts with an S and my birth date's over is a is in December, then I get this result. But I didn't want to like do that one again because it's so yeah. overdone. Yeah. So I thought, okay, what's something else that people can look at? It's not going to be personal information, but it'll give you a result because um, people like that to go. Oh, okay, what have I got right now? Okay, I've got that number. Um, but that was sort of the surface game, and the the second part of the game is actually looking at those 17 reasons um, and asking questions about them because uh, they were a very interesting list about, um, 
you know, there were there were a, a, a snapshot of you know an approximation of things that that we we value and and, and um, consider important in our society, and there are things on there that people disagree with. There are things on there that people um, very much do agree with. Um, yeah, yeah, and and. I enjoyed that because a lot of people were like, oh, yeah, that's interesting, but, you know, that, that was a cute game, but I also really think, you know, we should talk about that. And I'm like, yes, yes, you, you've stumbled onto my secret intent that, that this was, was actually a, uh, a conversation prompt. Um, yeah. And, and um, I enjoy that part of games. You know, games even more than other art forms are, in a sense, taking away some of your consent. They are manipulating you to do things and and take certain actions and and um think certain thoughts and and apply value systems that are somewhat out of your control and i think that's a really interesting thing to explore to be just like okay well i want i want to talk about this but i want to um i have to be sneaky about it Mm -hmm. i think because this is one that listeners can go and actually look at really easy if they just go to your site and pull it up, this is such a good conversation starter for a lot of things. Even, even now that COVID restrictions are starting to die, well, they've really died down now here in Canada. Other places, maybe not as much. I haven't been keeping up as much. But there's a lot you can discuss here. It's a super interesting game, and it plays really well with friends online, especially people internationally. I find this might work really well if you and your friends are in different places. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you may have different rules as well, um, mm-hmm. or different rules at different times. You know, things that have changed. Um, and yeah, it's it's a great way to just go. Let's let's have a look um, at what what your rules were like, and and to help us talk about lockdowns because it's it's something that's been that's very stressful to to us and and. We're not always good at talking about things that are that are stressing us out. Um, we we will say, oh, you know, can't complain. It's the, it is what it is. But sometimes we're like, God, I really wish, you know, I miss that I've been able yes. to to yeah. to do that. Or you know, there was a time where, um, you know, there was so and so's wedding, but you know, nobody, only only a few people went, or they decided to postpone it, or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, yeah, my mother's actually just about to go overseas, uh, which she couldn't do two years ago, and and that all got post- postponed. Um, and she has a lot of sort of relatives that live overseas, and it's like there was a definitely a ticking clock of like, what if we never see some of these people again, um, or we haven't seen their children, their 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 new babies, and that was something that really sort of. Um, hit hard for people who have who have overseas families that the, the, the limits on travel yeah i think something too that the more that i look through your game catalog and i've looked at it a lot is that you seem to really like to play with different themes and try to stress something each of your games feels like it has this each of your games feels like they are trying to deliver a specific message and I think that's so hard to capture in a lot of mediums. Yeah, that's definitely something that I, I, I 
am am interested in. Um, you know, the game is um, uh, it's something that that I, that you can use to really talk about um, uh, lots of different issues and lots of different things, and and um, I think increasingly aware that that's something that we can um, we can use games for and. You know, with my little Twitter games as well, it's like if some if people are stressed about something, or if we want to talk about something in a different way, we can use a game to do that. Um, yeah, and that can be political, uh, an agitation kind of way. You know, that can be, mm -hmm. um, uh, but it can be reflective. It can be, um, it can be um, uh, introspective. It can be lots of things that can sort of help people sort of come at an issue in a different way. Um, I, I made a, a Twitter game about abortion rights, um, and one of the mechanics that I put into it was that you're writing things on your body, because I wanted to sort of bring up the idea of that sense that this was actually about, you know, a, a physical mark on your flesh and, and having that sense of, oh, there's something on me that I need to, to deal with. Um, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, yes, yeah, so some people were like, I don't understand that, but, um, I think that's, that was an important, uh, way to sort of get into, into those kind of, uh, physical issues and, and games can be really good about that is that you can go, let's actually use the physical elements of a game because that unlike um as i say unlike passive art forms they're very interactive so i made another game about um you know mass shootings and that was about using a jigsaw puzzle and and having some of the pieces not be there um because they represent basically lives that have been just taken out um and uh, that's a very physical, kinesthetic thing that you can't get from any sort of non-interactive mm -hmm. art form. You get to this point where you go, we don't have that piece. That's physically frustrating and, and a different kind of part of my brain than, um, uh, than it would be if it was just seeing a story or reading a story. And yeah. I think that's something that we really can do with games. Um that we can't do with any other kind of art form. Um, we can use a different part of, of our brain. Um, and even if we're just reading a rules or something, we get that sense of um, this, this would, would be a, an activity that would engage me and would use that part of my brain. Like, oh, that would really be frustrating and annoying and physically uh, significant to me in a way that, that an image or a story wouldn't be. Um, <clears throat> and... Um, yeah, without without making games too dark and miserable, I think that's something that we can really you know, do more with. Um, uh, you know, we're seeing more games looking at this in 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 various different ways in in, in story games and in tabletop games in in board games. There's there's a game on Kickstarter right now, which is about um, the gay rights movement and gay civil rights, and okay. it it uses. Um, sort of deck building as a mechanic um, for sort of building up uh, increasing momentum um, in your deck of, of like uh, activists and, and support, but then also um, 
you get to a point in the game where the AIDS virus hits and you have to suddenly just lose all these cards in your deck because public figures and activists and, and, and all this support is just being snatched away. Um, and it's a very uh, visceral thing to just be like, oh, I, I had all those cards in my deck and they're just gone. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's, it's not making light of these things. It's actually trying to find another way to communicate them. And I think we're in a really fascinating point in history where more and more sort of people are exploring that space. Mm-hmm. So, Steve, when you're designing a game then, do you start with like the themes and topics and then build mechanics from that point on? Or do you come up with the concept for something you could do and then rework it? Or is it a bit of both? Uh, it, it does depend a lot on, on, on what I'm doing. Usually I start with an idea um, of something that I want to make a game about. And... Um, I, I look into what kind of feelings I want to create and um, and and that gives me an idea about mechanics. Sometimes I'll have a mechanical idea that I'll build on, but um, you know that that usually um, comes the mechanics almost always suggest themselves from the theme and the ideas. Um, yeah and and um, the, the thing that, that I find good about that is that, when you have an idea of a sort of an emotional goal and a target, um, you can always sort of compare back to that and go, does this fit? Is this actually part of that? Um, and, um, yeah, that, that gives you the roadmap. Um, so there's a game on my, uh, uh, that I really am proud of that I did last year called Two Faces. Um, and that's a game about, um, gothic literature and and that came to me very quickly when I was just thinking about how so much of those kind of stories are about the sense of the the, the dual dual identity that's going on in those stories where there's um an aspect of there's there's usually a a protagonist uh, an, an anti-hero who is got a dark curse and a violent side to themselves and they are trying to sometimes present their good side and sometimes their bad side takes over and I was just thinking about that and it immediately occurred to me that it would be a great mechanic to use flipping a coin for because you've got you could have the heads being the sort of trying to show off your your good side and the tails being the the sort of evil side um, uh, reverting to the surface and so very quickly that came uh, to me as the mechanic um, uh, and and the the sort of the the wordplay in the title um, just leapt out as a as a a really clever way to 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 explore that idea, um, which we've seen mm-hmm. in so many stories and movies. Yeah, I think one of the strengths of specifically tabletop and physical games is that physicality. So being able to get in there and you're physically part of it. You had mentioned the school shooting game that you have with the jigsaw puzzle. That's a very physical sensation compared to something like a video game or a movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and 
uh, a more social experience as well. You know, a lot of my games can be played solo or just be played sort of in your mind, but um, that's one of the things that really sort of set sets games apart is that you often have to be looking at someone across a table and, and communicating, and that that's an intimacy that um, is different from watching a movie with someone. Yeah. Speaking of sitting around a table and being there, let's move on to your card games because... There are three up on the site. I love the look of all of them. And we're going to start off with the one that I think is arguably the best one for for a small gathering with younger folks, and that's Baby Dragon Bedtime. What is this game? Yeah, so Baby Dragon Bedtime is definitely um, uh, one of our um, more successful games. Um, mm. We... Uh, this was... A, this was um, like it's it. This is a game that did sort of start with with some of the ideas of of story, but um, then I had the idea of could I make a real time deck building game? Um, uh, deck building is a very popular uh, thing in 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 card games. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, so it's designed to be um, a real time fast paced game. Everyone's got their own deck of uh, cards, which are sort of actions that they, the dragons, little baby, baby dragons can take. And um, you just turn over one card at a time, and we're all playing simultaneously. And uh, the uh, rest of the cards contain gold, um, which you want to collect, but also negative cards that you don't want to collect. And you can use a card to flip a card up to see what it is. Um, or you can use a card to take a card to put in your deck. And basically, if you want to go really fast, you can just grab all the cards that you can't see and take a risk. Um, or you can um, play it slow and try to find the good cards. And it takes about a minute, a um, minute and a half to play through. And it's just, we've just had a really, really good response to it. Um, because it's a physical game, anyone over like the age of six can play with their parents and can often beat them because they've just got better reflexes. And um, <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we've just had um, we've had a lovely response to it and um, we've got it in stores now around, around Australia. And um, yeah, we've been encouraged by the fact that there's nothing else like it. Like there still isn't a, um, another real-time deck builder out there and and the kids have really responded to the to that real time um, shenanigans. That's what I was gonna say. I feel like this game would be super popular with with kids. So hearing that that's been a good response, I'm super excited to hear that. Especially with how cute it is, it's a very sweet looking game. Yeah, we, we got really lucky with them. Um, there was a local artist who who was um, helping us draw that that art and and. Um, uh, yeah, people really responded to the theme as well, which is always good. Um, we're working on a, a sort of sequel um, that also uses baby dragons, but um, still, still, still figuring out <laughs> you know when to do that um, in a way that we can we can make our money back is always the the issue. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, look, we've, there's even a review where um, some lovely one of the people doing um youtube game reviews had their children review it and that's just one of the things that i love to come back and watch over and over again because they had so much fun and they love talking about it and you know that's what you want you know um 
for, for people to just the the reason we make games is so that um that people have an emotional reaction and and you know i've had people stop me at a convention as well and just go you know we played this last year and we really loved it so that's 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 what that's the best thing ever you know i think that that is probably the biggest compliment that you could get is having a youtuber get pushed aside for his kids to be like we're going to talk about this game now and why we like it yeah so the next one of your card games that i want to bring up is there's been a murder can you talk a little bit about this game specifically with the fact that it only has 18 cards it seems like it goes by pretty quick yeah so um this was actually designed uh a friend of mine likes to design 18 card games um so there's a company called um button shy that kind of started the um tradition of trying to make um uh very small card games card games that have um uh just 18 cards so 18 cards was originally um how you would print cards on a sheet um because you can sort of fit nine playing cards on an a4 sheet and if you sort of run it through a double-sided printer 18 cards is sort of basically a a uh a standard printing run that's why there are two jokers in a in a deck of 52 cards because 54 is three 18s um so historically there was this this thing of like okay can we make the smallest sort of thing that we can make for a card game is probably about 18 cards for a printer um and my friend designed a few games of, of his own, and then we were talking about trying to sort of do an anthology um, of, of these to sort of make a bigger product. Um, and so I sat down and, and started to think about that. And again, this was a little bit of a design challenge as well. I wanted to make something that was collaborative because I really love collaborative games. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, uh, so this was, I don't know if you, there's also a game called Love Letter, which is very popular. Um, yes. Love Letter is... Um, a very simple game. It also has, I think, only 16 cards. Maybe. No, maybe, might, I think it's 18 as well. Um, and, um, um, yeah, it, it was it was a very, very simple case of um, trying to um, get a game about um, uh, um, passing cards around, finding information figuring out who's got the highest value cards and how to flush them out of people's hands. And I, I thought that was a very simple idea that could also be done collaboratively. So um, what you have in, in There's Been a Murder is that you're all working collaboratively to figure out who's holding the murderer card and who's holding the detective card. And then the detective player can play the detective on a certain player and make them flush out the murderer. But you aren't allowed to talk about your cards. You can't reveal what you've got in your hand. And um, we've actually been very lucky that we entered that into a competition and it was actually picked up by um, a publisher called Goliath. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah, so that's really been our, our biggest success. It's gone into the mainstream um, and is being sold in, in uh, big, big brand stores um, uh, in, the U- in the US. Um, I was going to say, I think I've heard of this one actually. I, I'm pretty sure I've heard of There's Been a Murder you you should find it in things like targets and walmarts and things like that um uh-huh. and um yeah so that was that was really um our greatest success that was picked up and it's it's uh again it is a short game as you say um 
takes about five to ten minutes. A bit slower when you don't know the cards the first time. Um, yeah. But it, it gives, again, a fairly unique experience. Um, and if I have a skill, I seem to be able to make things that are quite unusual. <laughs> I was going to say, you have a flair for making really unique and interesting games. It's just a lot of these things are not like anything else I've actually really heard about. Yeah, um, I'm, 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 I have somehow a bit of an ability to just think a little bit differently to some people. And uh, yeah, that's sometimes they're, they're very weird and they don't get that picked up, but I'm, I'm always gratified when people go, oh, you know, that does work. Um, you know, the same is true of, our, of my role-playing games. Um, with our, our, the game we put out last year, Partners, we were very really unsure that anyone would actually want to play it. Um, yeah. But um, we, we've we've had a we've had a good reaction to it again, and um, I think that's a good lesson for any designer is that that um, obviously you have to think about the market and um, and things like that. But uh, you 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 may be surprised to find that there are people who are going to go, oh yeah, that that does sound good. I will play that. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about partners a little bit deeper in just a moment, but I wanted to bring up which is, I think, my favorite of the three card games, and that's Elevator Pitch. I love this game. I really like Elevator Pitch as a concept. It seems to have a lot of replayability. I think it could be hilarious with the right group of people. So can you tell us a little bit about Elevator Pitch and who exactly this game's for? Because a lot of people in the reviews really like this. Um, yeah, so, so, uh, Elevator Pitch was sort of, um, something I designed with, um, two other friends of mine. Um, there are similar games like it out there where people, um, uh, have made this idea of sort of creating a, a story, um, with random elements being sort of thrown together. And we, you know, watch a lot of movies. If you've looked at things like TV Tropes, you know, their website, there are lots of sort of, um fun ways to sort of move um move ideas together and then and then be inspired and that's sort of also how i design a lot of my rpgs as well that that um a lot of the big part of the fun of role-playing games is um uh getting some random ideas together whether they're from a table or from a dice roll or from your friends at the table and then going um uh, what the hell, you know, how does this make sense? How do we turn this into a cool story? Um, so this was sort of our first experiment of going, okay, let's, let's make a, uh, a deck of these cards, um, and see if we can, you know, use some of the tools out there. This is like the first, I think it was the first thing we actually really physically published as opposed to just making a game on, on word. It was about the same time as I was doing that, um, and learning how to make a deck put it on, on the game crafter and get that thing published. And, and, um, yeah, it's, it's just a fun way of, go, of, of generating a story. Um, uh, and you, you just flip over some cards and you get some hilarious, you know, concepts, uh, characters, locations, um, plot hooks, genres, and you get to sort of throw them together and, and, um, have a, a hilarious, uh, interaction. Um, we are hoping to do a new version of it at some point. Um, again, 
the problem at the moment is international shipping is just going crazy and and it's harder and harder to make money from card games that especially with a small imprint Mm -hmm. um uh but yeah look we we we've again we've had a great response to it um and and it, it is as you say a great thing for the the right group to sit down and just and just you know work off it and um you'll great create some incredibly memorable moments um we have another game that's a little bit similar it's about um character aspects um and it's a party game a similar sort of thing it's six instead of trying to sort of create a character you turn over these you could use it for that but you turn over aspects and you try to think of the best fictional character that has all three of those aspects and um so it becomes a sort of um uh, kind of a trivia game as well but the the there is one person each turn who gets to decide what the best answer is um uh and and so it's a bit like uh uh, Cards Against Humanity kind of thing as well and um, mm-hmm. we're looking for a publisher for that because we just we can probably make you know we can probably save enough money to print off 500 copies but we just want to get it into a larger you know um, yeah uh, a larger market and, and be able to get to more people yeah I was actually talking to another group of designers today and they are also from around that part of the world they had mentioned in their interview as well the ridiculous price of shipping at the moment and how hard that's been for their fulfillment on their kickstarter and how it's pushed a lot of things back and i know for a fact that trading guard games and paper have been huge parts of that yeah yeah um it's uh it's it's an interesting situation where um things are are, are in, in a lot of flux at the moment um industries yeah the, the industry is facing yeah rising paper costs and cardboard costs rising shipping costs more and more kickstarters and things like that we see today just don't fulfill to anywhere outside of america and europe uh, because it's just too mm-hmm. expensive or they do offer it, but the, the cost is very high. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely a very tricky time. Um, a lot of people are complaining on Kickstarters about prices, but you know, there's nothing the industry can do. The industry's basically trying to keep the prices as low as they can, but um, uh, there's, just, there's just this enormous amount of, of unpredictability and change, and we don't know when it's going to change back or if it'll change back. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, we are, and that, that, one of the terrible things about the, the game industry sometimes is that you can have a game that works, and like I've got games on my shelves that people have enjoyed a great deal, and then they're going, well, I want to buy it. I was like, well, we um, we can't sell it to you because we really just don't have the money to make it of any great size, um, and so. You know, the best we can do is, is, I think, explore things like print on demand and um, and um, uh, yeah, things like that. And uh, um, and and people making the games at the uh, um, print and play. That's the other word. There, there is a growing community of people who just go, "I like, I like this game. Um, I'll I'll print it out and and cut it up and sleeve it myself." And I think if we encourage more people to do that, then we'll 
might have a a better sense, a better way to play games. You know, obviously people love their shiny toys. Um, yeah, and um, that's that's absolutely fine. But um, I think um, we have to think about different ways to play games. You know, and that's that's one of the reasons why a lot of I'm, I try to make games on Twitter. Because if I can fit it into a tweet, I can get it to a thousand people on my Twitter list, and you know, um, if it's something that they can play with whatever they've got sitting around them, you know, if it's just then, then, then I don't have to spend all this money on on all the other things, you know, on all the shipping and all the all the change and all that. So, um, mm-hmm. I think that's hugely reasonable and kind of lends itself to the limited run of some games there. We're we're going to touch on which the games that I'm most excited about actually and that's your story games or your role playing games, specifically three partners relics and I thought appropriate the Tin Star. So, let's talk about the newest one cuz you had mentioned Partners earlier. What is Partners? So, Partners um is a two-player role-playing game. Um, it's already quite unusual and, um, it was designed, uh, because I was talking to a woman at a convention who was probably about 70 years old and wanted to figure out what role-playing games were, but she only had her husband to play with. Um, and a lot of the games I was sort of pointing to that she could play were very, uh, drenched in, um, you know, we we have if you if you're if you're a nerd you, you know we have a lot of pop culture knowledge and a lot of science fiction and fantasy knowledge and so you know the the, the nearest game I could find that was even vaguely what she might understand was Call of Cthulhu and it's like well that's still <laughs> a lot to take in right yeah it is <laughs> um you've heard of the 1920s but it's like yeah it's just so Partners concentrates on a genre that I watch a lot of on television, which is basically the police procedural or the mystery show. So everything mm-hmm. from Agatha Christie to to um, you know um, Castle or or Lucifer, um, uh, but also things like SVU and, and Law and Order, um, and particularly so if, there's two elements to it. It's one you're solving a mystery, um, and two you're playing um it's designed to be sort of playing those two central characters who uh, bicker and argue amongst themselves um so we call them the straight shooter and the wild card and so there's one character who um is trying to do things the right way and there's one there's another character who insists on doing things um differently and 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 um in a way that irritates the straight shooter and so the game mechanic is based on sort of uh, a randomly generating the mystery, um, and and B uh, it creating reasons for the characters to bicker with each other and banter back and forth. I love that concept. People totally understand the procedural dramas. I mean, we have oh, hundreds at this point. Yes, and, <laughs> and de- you can definitely choose your favorites though, and go right from there. And hearing a little bit about the origin of partners i think that's so it's such an interesting idea because when you mentioned this this person who approached you their age i looked over at my shelf and i the only thing i saw that might relatively work was actually call of cthulhu and you're right that is not a game to start with 
<laughs> yeah. Um, we're, I think we're, we, we live in a, a culture where there's a lot of, of danger of what, what, we call, what they call islandization, where uh, we get sort of stuck in a world that is, is extremely deep for the people in it, but um, uh-huh. is, is in, um, walled off behind these sort of barriers that anyone outside it can't understand it. Um, and computer games are a bit like that as well. You know, if you don't have this sort of, um, uh, um, understanding of, of the, the genre, um, and there's so much assumptions that are built into games these days. Um, yeah. And, and, um, yeah, it's, it's really, I think, important to explore some of these issues. Um, and um, the other thing that I think was really important about um, partners for us is that a lot of people find it very difficult to, um, to be creative um, uh, when they come and sit down to a role-playing game. And um, that comes back to sort of the idea that we had in Elevator Pitch is that the central part of, of partners is um, that scenes are generated randomly. So normally in a role-playing game, you know, you'd be like, oh, well, this person was stabbed, so let's go, um, you know, and, and uh, go to get an autopsy, and then we'll figure out, we'll, we'll, we'll try to retrace their steps and things like that. And it's, um, you're making decisions as if you're trying, as a player, really, to solve a mystery. And that means you're either... There's only two ways to do that. Either the GM has an answer that you're trying to solve... Um, or you just get to a point where you go, okay, we've got a fair bit of evidence now. We're going to pick who we think did it. Um, and, uh, so what we do with, with partners is that every scene is generated randomly. And so you go, okay, where's the next scene taking place and what kind of evidence is it about? And it's only when you sort of build up a bunch of these, uh, elements on a table, um, that eventually you'll have a, a suffit or of, of one, suspects evidence which will tip over the end game and tell you who did it so you don't actually know who did it until you get to the end of each session and and that means you get some of the surprise of of actually reading a mystery story yourself um instead of just trying to sort of make it up solely as the author um you are in fact um you know acting as as the audience somewhat you are encountering the story in that sense and you also therefore you don't always have to just go oh what should we do next i'm not sure what would make a cool scene i'm not sure what we're supposed to do to solve this mystery instead you can just go okay well we know this next scene involves um you know suspect uh suspect you know the the brother and it's going to show some evidence that the brother is uh you know involving some some physical evidence or some fingerprints and um uh, you know, we know it's going to take place in this location and then we just set it up and, and that takes away that sort of need to, um, to figure out, um, uh, what we're going to do next that the cards will tell you, and then you just make it interesting. Basically. I love that, especially for, well, the, the audience that this have been created for which is those who aren't familiar with tabletop role-playing games 
I think that's such a cool and interesting and unique system, especially the fact that you as a player make your own assumptions about who you think may do it, but at the end of the day, the evidence stacks up against a specific NPC and rolls over into that. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, um, and as I said, we weren't sure that... um that anyone was, was necessarily going to be like, because it is, it takes away some of that sense of, uh, control. Um, uh, we weren't sure that people were going to be interested in it, but we did have a very successful, um, uh, Kickstarter and we're really excited by that. And, and I mean, we haven't sold a, a million copies, but we've, we've, we've sold pretty well. And, and we've had, again, people having a very strong emotional reaction to it, which is great. Uh Speaking of games that people have had emotional reactions to, I absolutely love the concept behind Relics. This game is so cool to me. I absolutely love it. Can you tell us a little bit about Relics and specifically go into that flashback mechanic? Yeah, so... um... Relics was sort of my first uh, attempt to really do a proper self-publishing um, at a larger scale, um, mm-hmm. and um, it ties into my uh, love of, of the, the media about uh, angels and and um, that sort of Christian mythology. Um, yeah, and um, yeah, so it's it's if you've watched anything from uh, the Constantine films or the Constantine comics, the Hellblazer comics, um, yeah. or if you've uh, watched um, uh, Far Away So Close um, or anything like that, um, uh, the, the Prophecy films, of course. And uh, yeah, I, I've always been interested in basically developing up a big... What I wanted to do with that was really do a big, big setting like the World of Darkness... As a freelancer, I worked on the World of Darkness at one point, and I was like, you know, I'd rather I want to do my own um, something really big, something with lots of different factions and and groups and and um, history and and antagonism and um, yeah. So that was that was my intent going in, and um, we spent a lot of time trying different systems for the game because the world was sort of fairly well set in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, it was about making sure we had the right RPG for it. And um, I, um, James Wallace, who I mentioned earlier, made this incredible game called uh, Las Vegas. Um, and uh, it's about waking up. Um, it's basically like the Hangover movies. You wake up um, in the desert outside Las Vegas um, and you have no memory of how you got there and what you, what's going on. And it sort of starts from like, oh, do we have a bender to, wait a minute, are we in, you know, Twin Peaks or something else? You know, there's something um, horrifying and strange going on that's, that's supernatural. Um, uh, and, um, yes, so that has a system where you do flashbacks, where you find out what you did the night before. Um, and that ended up being really, really good for, um, what we wanted to do with, uh, with, um, with relics. We had this idea that, um, we kept coming back to is that, that angels should have, 
this very long history. And um, if you do look at a lot of angel stories, they're based on flashbacks. Um, you know, even if you, you look at things um, like... Um, well, Forever Night was a TV show in the 80s um, um, that was also really based on flashbacks and, and the um, Highlander TV show and the Highlander movies. They've all got this sort of sense of these characters have been alive for a very, very long time, so a huge part of the storytelling is um, just having these scenes of like, okay, let's flash back to when they were in medieval times or when they were in the French Revolution or, you know... Um, uh, the the Sandman stories as well. You know, we're getting a document, um, getting the, the show of that. That's um, you've got stories about when you have these long lived characters who've been through all of history. One of the fun parts is looking back and going, okay, well, what were you doing at this point of history, and what were you doing then? Um, and so that's where the 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 flashback mechanics just came into it. So, you know, in in a Las Vegas. Um, uh, you are, you know, you've lost your memory and you have sort of cinematic amnesia, so you don't remember what you did. In this one, we have the assumption that you do remember, it just hasn't come up into the story yet. Um, and, I, and that's also quite different to how most people want to play a game, is that they're used to the idea that um, they know everything about their character up to now. They've written a backstory. They might occasionally have mechanics that let you sort of shift things a little bit, but... Um, in this case, we often have really large unknown elements because not only do you um, write your own backstories and flashbacks, other players at the table can as well. Um, and that means you're not entirely sure about who you're playing and you get to have, again, a bit like partners where there's an element that you're not controlling of the story. In this case, when we do flashbacks, the, the other players will go, okay, well, you know, this is about, you know, you, you, we use it as a way of generating skills um, so if you want to have a skill where you're stealing a car, then another player will say, okay, well, there was this time back in the 60s where we were drag racing in Chicago um, and you were stealing all these cars. And in that, they can say um, uh, lots of other things about your character. They have some element, the ability to describe. They can't contradict anything that's already happened, um, but they can add anything they want about your character. Um, as because it's actually their them that's having the memory, uh, and that means that they have their own point of view as well, which you can later go, well, you miss, you know, that's how you saw that event, but here's here's how I saw it. Um, uh, so that comes into this element of like per points of view, and uh, but it also comes into this element of you don't necessarily know, or at least you haven't, we haven't learnt everything about your character. Um, going forward, which again is a, a thing that we see a lot in television, you know, we have this flashback and go, oh, okay, that character isn't who we thought they were, um, and this time this happens to the player who owns that character, you find out a bit more about yourself and go, um, I, I may not be, you know, exactly who I believe myself to be, which I think is something that, that is, is really unique in Relics. Um, we had, you know, early games, we had a guy who was like, my character is basically ba being about trying to be a good cop. And then one of our early flashbacks was like, well, here's a time where you, you broke the law. And, and the game then became about like, okay, so that his, his, he believes he's a good cop. He's trying to be a good cop, but he has these sins in his past. Um, and that couldn't have come up 
from just one player on its own. It had to be, it was something that was added by this other character um, that created this sense of um, uh, the unreliable narrator, basically. That's the thing, is the player yeah. who was originally playing that character was, was the unreliable narrator um, saying, yes, look at me, I'm a good cop. And then we have another episode from another point of player's point of view and, and we find out you know, that's, that's, what they, that's how they see themselves, but that's not necessarily the truth. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, that it produces a very, a very different kind of feel. Um, and, and it does allow you to tell stories with this, a very great, um, expansive history and, um, and, um, that gives us a, a, a some unique feel about that sort of enormous angelic history and it makes it feel not yeah, like yeah. any other game. It's certainly one of the games that leans the heaviest into group narration that I've seen and in like a really good way because it's all from character perspective, really. Like I said, Relics is definitely on my list of games to pick up and play. I'm really interested in it. Yeah, uh, that's great. And, and um, I think... You know, we, we've managed to finally get it out to, to conventions now, getting it distributed in the U.S. Um, and and we'd love, yeah, more people to get into it. And, and um, we've still got stuff that we want to put out for it, too. Um, uh, we've got... We, we tried to do another Kickstarter to launch a supplement um, last year, but we just didn't make our goal. Um, but we're going to try and do that digitally. Um, so we've got basically a big book of, of the set the, the setting involves these powerful um, angelic objects called the relics and we've got a book of, of just um, uh, almost a hundred of those um, oh so that's something that is in development and it's, there's scenarios and adventures as well um, so if you're into that you know we're gonna put all of that's gonna come out on our um, on our Patreon and uh, up for sale. So if you if you like the idea of relics, not only do we have you know, the game, the PDF up for sale, you'll be there's a lot of support coming out for it as well. That's super exciting. I love when more support comes out for indie developed games. I just absolutely adore when people go back to their previous projects. Steve, the last game we're going to talk about tonight is actually the Tin Star which I thought was really appropriate considering the name of Tin Star Games. Can you tell us a little bit about what the Tin Star is? Yeah, um, so again, this sort of was a bit of a challenge. Someone said, you've got your, your company's called the Tin Star, um, but you don't have any Western games, um, uh, Tin Star <laughs> Games. And, and um, yeah, so this was a game designed to be, uh, make a game about, about the Old West. Um, and, uh, it started, um, it was sort of one of the first games that I was exploring with these kind of what I call prompt games where you don't necessarily make the choices, um, uh, as your, as in your character's voice, but you rather draw cards to see what happens. Um, so, uh, in, in, um, the Tin Star, it's a solo RPG, um, very popular now these days, but it was, wasn't so much, um, back in the day when we first made this. Um, 
and uh, you basically have um, certain cards in the deck represent uh, the sheriff, the outlaw, and the other cards represent um, other people in the town, and you randomly deal them out in a fashion so you're never quite sure again exactly what the next scene is going to be about. And as the cards fall, they tell you, okay, this scene is about this person in the town and this point in their life, depending on the suit, and and that generates this sort of narrative. Um, and you slowly build up this sense of um, who, the, who the town is, who the protagonists are, and... Um, building up to a final confrontation where the where the, um, the the outlaw and the sheriff finally meet um, and it's 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 a it's it's not st- technically a journaling game because you don't necessarily have to write anything down but you certainly could but it, it has this very unique kind of storytelling idea that that you're um, you, you have no you, you're not sure how the story is going to come out and you're not making as many choices as you will. Like a lot of the a lot of the journaling games are about you know choose what happens in this juncture, um, and there's there's not a there's not as much of uh, randomness, I guess. Some of them are. Some of them are uh, are based on tile playment or card draws more, but um, a lot of them are more just sort of making a choice from a list or or responding in your choice. And in this case. Um, the cards as they fall determine things, and you're never sure uh, who's going to win at the end either. Like whether the sheriff will defeat the outlaw or the outlaw will kill the sheriff. It's all randomly determined, and that's very exciting for me because it means when I sit down to play it, I don't know what's going to happen, and I'm going to get a story that is going to be just unexpected. <laughs> I love westerns. There's a couple western games that I've been looking at a lot. The Tin Star is just so well designed. Steve, I have to ask too, now that we're here at the end, if there are one or two games that you really suggest people to check out from your catalog of stuff, which ones do you recommend for them? Um, well, look, if, you, if you're interested to see like um, our style, um, you can start with something like... Um, uh, two Faces, because Two Faces is quite unusual, but it's also free, so you can have mm-hmm. a look at it, um, and it's, uh, it shows you how you do, it's, it, it's not unlike, um, Tin Star, in that it's about, um, it's a, it's a, it's a prompt game, um, so you, are you're getting these ideas, and you're seeing how you react to them, um, so, yeah, that's a great place to start, um, and it's it requires a lot less work than things like like relics or or partners. Um, yeah, and if you like that, then you can grab yeah you can grab the tin star and and that'll show you again this uh, a bit more further thing. And the great thing about yeah both those they're both solo. Um, twin t- uh, two faces is is free. Everything else is cheap, um, and you can just see the style of games uh you can play it on your own around your own table and then see if you if you like the kind of games that we make then you can come back and go okay well now that i know this style and and um then i might i can grab things like like partners or something um or if you if you do like things more traditional then definitely start with relics because relics is, is easily the most uh traditional game that i've made um it's uh 
really, except for that there is group narration and, and group um, story building, but it's also the most traditional game. You have, everyone's got a character, there's a GM, um, and uh, you go through a sort of standard uh, traditional mode. So, and if you've played anything like World of Darkness um, before or Monster of the Week, you know, you'll, you'll understand the format. So, um, yeah, Relics is a great place to start as well. And as I say, so many supplements coming out for Relics, so um, you won't be lacking for more stuff. I'm really excited about that. Steve, before we go, though, I have one more big question and one smaller question for you. So... Every episode, I like to ask content creators this one question, which is, it's a bit of a question unless you have an idea on how you're going to answer. But what advice can you give to somebody who's looking to create their own game, but they don't really know where to start? Um, I, think, I think one thing you want to do is try to start small. Um, try to make as small a game as you possibly can, because it's otherwise just a big thing to bite off. Um, and to do that, I would look at some of the, you know, small games that are out there. Read a bunch of small games that are one-pages or postcard games or business card games. Get a sense for them. And then, mm-hmm. you know, look at... And there's a lot of jams as well that are on... Like, if you if you go to itch.io um, or places like that, they're having so many creative jams. And that will also throw something at you. So a lot of the reasons that it's hard to design your first game is that you just have too many ideas and too many options. And a jam can go, you know, you have to make a game about these things. Um, You know, one of my very first games that's on my website is uh, Daughters of Exile, and that was from a thing they used to have called Game Chef, where there was four ideas and one central topic, and you had to pick, you know, they had to be about the central topic and three, at least two of the, the four ideas... It also had like a word limit. It would have to be 3,000 words. Um, and it had to be you know, done by a certain date. And restrictions are just a great way to stop you going down a rabbit hole of making something too big. Um, and also throw some things into the pan to start you off instead of just going, well, I can make a game about anything. Um, so look into jams and try to make something small. Restrictions and a deadline... And just get something, you know, if you, if, you, if, you, if you start with something to work on, so there's something that you have to use, and if you keep it small and keep it sh- um, give yourself a deadline, you'll be able to finish something and get it out. Um, so that, that's, I think, really important. I think that's incredible advice, especially that angle, because we've had people talk about joining jams before as advice, but I never really thought about the limiting your options which is huge in this space because a lot of people want to add a lot of stuff to their games generally either people don't know where to start they and they have too many ideas or not enough and so just have picking something like it's got to be a game about dinosaurs boom you know it it just (laughs) gives you something to start with and so often that's important to make a line on the page um but also uh yeah you you if you can also go down into a um a rabbit hole like one of the very first rpgs i designed when back at university i was trying to make this massive game about dragons and it was just such a big game in scope there was no way to really see the end of it um and and i see people on this like i've got this game that i've spent 10 years working on it's like yeah but you're never going to finish that so you you know <laughs> you, you you're gonna that you, you you you've spent so much time working on it you've learned to just keep working on it um 
instead of learning to finish things. Um, so yeah, really think about how can I force myself to, uh, to make something small, um, because then you can make the second thing and the first thing's never going to be that good. So you want to move on and go, okay, I need to make the second game. Um, yeah, like I said, super solid advice. Steve, where can people find out more about you and Tinstar Games? Yeah, so we're at tinstargames.com. Um, so tin like the metal, star like the thing in the sky. Um, <laughs> a lot of people don't know that word because it's a very American phrase. Um, uh, tinstargames.com and tinstargames.itch.io uh, is where our itch store is. Um, and Tinstar Games on Facebook. We are Tinstar Games with a one um, uh, on Twitter. So Tinstar Games one. Um, and Facebook and Twitter is where to get sort of all the news, but we also have a blog on our website uh, and you can sign up to that and you'll get all the info. And the Patreon's also on our website, um, Tinstar Games on patreon.com and you can sign up there and you get a whole bunch of stuff for free. As always, audience, those links are going to be down in the description below. Steve, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast this week. It has been an absolute blast. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been it's been a really good chat. And audience, thank you so much for listening. Go out there, check out Ten Star Games, and support Steve. Until then, though, Steve and a lot of Ten Star Games have launched, so go pick them up. Take care of yourselves. Have a good night, and I'll see you on the next one. Bye. Thank you so much to Steve for joining me on the show this week. Tinstar Games has several really cool things that you can purchase and go and pick out. It's certainly worth a look at if you heard even one thing that you like. A lot of the stuff on there is also free, especially those mini games. So check out their Twitter, check out the website, and if you like what you heard, give it a visit. Go go get something, play something, have some fun with it. And thank you for joining me this week, audience. I don't know if we've just had some people catching up on their backlog or if we've just had a bunch of new discoveries, but in either case, thanks for joining us. We've had a lot of numbers show up lately and it's just been really cool. So thanks for joining us so much. Yeah, I absolutely stunned and floored. If you like what you heard and you want to keep on hearing more though, Word of mouth's the only way that we grow, so share it with a friend and maybe they'll discover a game that they really like too. A little bit of housekeeping though. First off, ZineQuest is here. So for those of you who don't know what ZineQuest is, it's indie developers on Kickstarter putting out small games. It's a lot of fun. Go check it out. If you got some extra cash kicking around and maybe you want to support a small game, go to Kickstarter, just click on ZineQuest, you'll see it, it's great. Second, and just as exciting, some of you may remember Marshall from a while back who came onto the show to talk about Pokemon Tales. Well, I'll be joining Marshall and Will from Live from the Apocalypse, Kev from at Magical Girl Kev. They make a lot of really cool Magical Girl stuff for Pathfinder and 5e. It's a lot of fun. And Justin from No Fame Pod to present Pokemon the Maple League. Live on Twitch for the Surf Rider Foundation and it's going to be a huge amount of fun. It's going to be going live August 10th, 24th, and September 7th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We spent like three hours world building 
day. Come and join us. It's going to be an absolute blast, and you'll get to see our version of a Canada-inspired Pokemon show starring a bunch of Canadians and Marshall. I hope to see you there, but until then, though, take care of yourselves. I'll see you on the next one. Bye.